Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We all put off doing things we know we need to do. I mean, we know we need to organize the garage or, in my case, clean out my office. I'm sort of an office pig. Good thing I have my wife saying, hey, listen clean out your office, you office pig. But anyway, something always gets in the way. It's funny how home security can be like that too. You know it's a good idea, but there's always something holding you back. Well, now's the time to act. You can protect your home with Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe believes nothing should come between you and protecting your home. So they've gotten rid of the reasons not to get home security. There's no contract. Ever. No price markups from any middleman. And no installation windows. I mean, who has time for that? Most importantly, their system is engineered to do one thing brilliantly. Protect you and your home. So get a jump on protecting your home at simplysafe.com slash king. I'm going to spell it for you. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E simplysafe.com slash king no time like the present right so protect your home and family today with simply safe again simplysafe.com slash king welcome to the peter king podcast where i try to tell you a little bit about football and just a tiny bit about life also this week in the wake of two incredible conference championship games and now in the dead week before heading to Atlanta for the Super Bowl I'm going to have Tony Dungy of NBC Sports and also New York Times best-selling author he's got a new book out we're going to talk to him about all things NFL and all things writing as well we're also going to have Ed Werder uh, the longtime ESPN reporter who now uh, is a free agent in the media world will land somewhere in 2019. Uh, he had an interesting experience at the NFC Championship game. We'll talk to him about that. Uh, he's a sideline reporter for Westwood One right now. And also, uh, we're going to be joined by Jason McCourty of the Super Bowl-bound New England Patriots. I spent a few minutes with him after the AFC Championship game in Kansas City on Sunday and recorded something. His brother's been going to the Super Bowl every year, it seems, but Jason McCourty has been on some bad football teams. So he's rejoicing right now that he is finally going to the Super Bowl. So 
Before we get to our conversations, just a few words about the officiating controversies of this past weekend uh, in the National Football League and where they may be headed. You know, a few years ago, I think it was at a league meeting, um, I had somebody on the NFL competition committee when I said, listen, why don't you change this? Why don't you do this? And he, and he just said, Peter, there never be any monumental changes in the replay system or in the coach challenge system until somebody's ox really gets gored, until it makes a difference in a Super Bowl or a huge playoff game. And that's why I think now uh, the NFL might be willing to uh, discuss and consider some very, very different things, which I, and I'm going to discuss two of them right here in the next couple of minutes, uh, about replay and about what should be done right now uh, with officiating in the NFL. Look, um, I am 96% on the side of NFL officials. I think they have an impossible job. The game is just too fast. You heard Bill Belichick a couple of weeks ago uh, give an impassioned defense of officials because of how difficult a job that officials have. The game is fast. They're trying to keep up with it. Could they be younger in better shape? Yes and yes. But I do think for the most part, they do a very good job. The problem comes in when you have a game of huge magnitude, like the NFC Championship game, and there's a call made in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter that had a real influence on the team that is going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I would argue with you, I, I uh, wrote about it in my column on Monday, that the pass interference and helmet-to-helmet calls that were not made on the same play with a minute 43 to go in the fourth quarter and the Saints driving to try to take a lead to win the game, that the fact that those were not called meant that the New Orleans Saints essentially Um, because I believe firmly after talking to people in their organization, they would have had a first down at the six-yard line. Drew Brees would have kneeled one time. So with a minute 39, uh, the Rams would have taken their final timeout. Then Brees would have kneeled again. And And then he would have kneeled again on third down. So by the time the Rams would have gotten the kick uh, back, from the Saints, there would have been maybe 15 or 20 seconds left. They would have had no timeouts, and they would have had to travel about 35 yards, absolute minimum, to attempt a a field goal to tie the game to send it to overtime. Conceivable that that could have happened. Unlikely, I think, that you're going to, in the space of two or three plays, uh, be able to get in position to kick a field goal to send it to overtime. You never know, but there's no question that it'd be more likely than not that the Saints uh, would have kicked this field goal and gone to the Super Bowl had that call been made. And that's, everybody says, well, what about this call earlier in the game? What about that call? (laughs) There's calls in every game, early in games, but there's very rarely a call in a monumental playoff game inside the two-minute warning that quite literally has such an effect on on the game that it changes who wins and loses. And again, this is not a sure thing at all. But 
it's more likely than not in the parlance of the NFL that the Saints would have gone to the Super Bowl. I have two recommendations. One, Bill Belichick has recommended this two or three years ago. I've said it for a long time. I think every play in the NFL in games should be allowed to be reviewed and challenged by coaches, everyone. So you say, oh, then we're going to have a five-hour game. No, we're not. You know why? Because you would not expand the number of challenges that coaches would have. So the way this would work is I see every coach, every coach, keeping one of his two challenges in his pocket for the last two or three minutes of a close game. Every coach would do that because you want to be sure that on a game-influencing call at the end of the game that you're going to be able to throw your challenge flag. That's the first thing. The second thing, and I had an NFL coach text me on Monday night of this week. He said, hey, the games are just too big. What they should do in uh, playoff games is they should expand the number of challenges that a coach has, and you ought to be able to challenge anything. During the season, we all understand that the uh, you know the time of game is paramount. You don't want a game really going over three three hours and ten minutes because you don't want games to to bleed into the next game. We get that. We understand the programming aspect of it and all that. And in my opinion, uh, both of those things ought to be seriously considered by the NFL. I hope they are. Look, we've reached a point where officials have a tougher job than they ever have. Not because, as people say, well, the players are so fast. No, it's because every person watching a game has a better view of the game than the officials have. And, and you know, there's 40 seconds between plays, so we get to see three replay reviews of the same play. So now we think the officials are three blind mice. They are not. It is much, much, much harder to officiate football games today than it ever has been because of the scrutiny and because of the replays and because of the fact that television is so good and so clear-eyed now that officials uh, just have the toughest job, I believe, that they ever have had. That's why they need help. These two suggestions, I hope, when the NFL Competition Committee gets together in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine in February, a little more than a month from now, they're going to consider real changes to the officiating system, to how plays are called, and to how they are reviewed by replay. The people who run this game owe it to the people who watch this game to do a better job than what we saw in New Orleans on Sunday. And now my conversation with Tony Dungy. Back on the Peter King Podcast, really happy to be joined by a longtime colleague at NBC Sports, Tony Dungy. He's a Hall of Fame football coach. You know him uh, from the sidelines for oh so many years in Tampa Bay and Indianapolis. And now, um, if it's possible to be more famous on TV than in the booth, it's entirely possible uh, or, or on TV than on the sidelines. It's entirely possible that's happened to to Tony Dungy now because he is uh, a very well thought of and, and acclaimed uh, studio analyst for NBC Sports. And Tony's got a book out. We're going to talk about the book in a couple of minutes. 
Uh, but anyway, Tony, thank you, and thanks for giving us a few minutes. Hey, Peter, always good to be with you and uh, excited for this time of year. My, my favorite time of year, uh, obviously, with the NFL playoffs. So I'm going to ask you two current events questions. You, I would assume you're sitting at home on Sunday watching those two games. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. So when you saw the pass interference and the helmet-to-helmet that was missed um, on Nikel Roby Coleman of the Rams when he obviously – uh, you know, slams into Tommy Lee Lewis. It should have been pass interference. And on closer review, it also should have been a helmet-to-helmet hit as well that wasn't called. Tell me your first thought and what did you feel when you saw that not flagged? My first thought watching it live was, well, this is bang-bang play. It should have been called, but they're probably not going to call it. These guys don't like to make that call at the end of a playoff game. Then when you watch the replay and you see that it's not bang-bang, it is obvious, it is flagrant, I felt bad for the Saints. It should have been called, but it happened. Now, Saints fans have a short memory uh, because we saw three or four of those kind of hits on Brett Favre that weren't called in in their Super Bowl year that um, were very, very flagrant, same way, weren't called. The league sent the apology later on should have been called so it happened but I, I think our officials have to get out of the mindset that this is a, a championship game they just have to call the game the way they would always call regular season games. is there um a recommendation if you're sitting in on the competition committee meetings which start in indianapolis in late february at the scouting combine You know a lot of the guys who are going to sit in that room. You know Rich McKay very, very well. You worked for him and with him for years in Tampa. You know Mike Tomlin very well. You know Sean Payton very well. You know a lot of the guys who are going to be sitting in that room. Plus, I think you also know politically the climate in the NFL. They don't want to revolutionize this thing. But with a call like this that quite possibly could have sent the wrong team to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Is there a solution or something in your mind that could make officiating better? There, there's going to be a tendency to overreact and, and try to say, well, we should review this. Uh, pass interference should be reviewable. These penalties should be reviewable. I don't think we should go down that road. My suggestion has always been full-time officials and you know get consistency in officiating. You're, you're always going to have these calls uh, that, that could have gone one way or another, that could have been critical. And I don't know that you're ever going to be able to take that out of the game, but you can get more consistency if we have these guys work full-time. And I know the NFL, to me, that would be my reaction, not an overreaction that, oh, we've got to now review every penalty that, that ever is called or not called. Let me ask you your reaction to my idea. And my idea is... You don't give my idea is that every snap in the NFL, every play could bring a challenge flag from coaches with this proviso. You do not increase the number of challenges that a coach will have. So in other words, the challenge that a coach would throw, the the yellow flag he'd throw in the second quarter on a, uh, a disputed catch for 11 yards He's now going to keep that in his pocket. He's not going to challenge that because I think every coach will want to have a challenge 
left over with, let's say, four minutes to go, that in, say, from four minutes to two minutes, because obviously all reviews are done upstairs inside the two-minute warning of each half, um, I, that that I don't think that co- I think coaches would throw the challenge flag a lot less if they knew they had to keep one in their pocket for let's say the second half of the fourth quarter of games. Well, you you do um, and you, you do that now to a great extent. Uh, you you know you don't want to run out of challenges before the two minute warning of, of the uh, final you know fourth quarter. Uh, but it's still, how do you know what's a big play and, and what's not? Is the Tom Brady roughing the passer? Do, do I challenge that now, or do I have to wait because I might get the pass interference call with, with that that loses the game for me? So, um, you know, it, I think that just adds one more layer to the coaches. What's critical, what isn't? And, hey, I should have challenged this, but I – I wanted to save it because it was only the third quarter of the game, but but that ended up being the biggest play. So um, it's hard to have a perfect system, and it's hard to not miss calls. And and the thing I think we're forgetting in all this, no one feels worse than that official. I, I promise you, he is sitting there saying, "I may have sent, I did send the wrong team to the Super Bowl. The team that probably deserved to win is not going." because of me missing a call and and he he doesn't feel great about that uh but that's part of the game i've had bad calls i look back on my coaching career i should have called this defense on this play. i shouldn't have blitzed then it happens we make mistakes that's part of football robin hood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Even if you have three bucks, you can start today. Non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers. That's what this is. You can invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. It's got a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. So I recently signed up for it. I started buying a few stocks, nothing big, a few stocks here and there. The great part is not only that it's so easy to do, there are no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You trade stocks and keep all of your profits. You can learn by doing. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. Custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Right now, Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. I mean, it's free money. They're basically giving it away. All you have to do is sign up. You can sign up at peterking.robinhood.com. All one word, both Peter King and Robin Hood. PeterKing.RobinHood.com. You'll be glad you did. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Switching gears a little bit, Tony, I wanted to ask you, we've had we've had conversations often um, when I was sitting there at NBC with you over the years, and even before then, when you were still coaching, about the best way to be sure that there was fair representation of minority coaches in the NFL. You've just seen a year in which um, more than half of the minority coaches in the league uh, were fired, and now as we sit here, there are two, and probably going to be a third one with Brian Flores um, uh, taking the Miami job uh, from the New England Patriots coaching staff. You've been very opinionated and I think very uh, progressive on your thoughts, and I've always thought when I think of what you have said over the years, okay, is number one, and this is what I want to talk to you about. Don't sprint to hire your coach. You know, take your time in hiring a coach. Interview a lot of people. Don't feel like you're in competition with all these other teams and hurry to do this. It's too much of an important job. You're better off losing a guy who you kind of like, but you're not sure of just because you don't want to be rushed into it. And also, remember how the Pittsburgh Steelers did it. They did a very thoughtful process and they withstood the thunderstorms early on in the Chuck Knoll era. Uh, occasionally, you know, the year before Bill Cower went 15 and one, and then the next year won the Super Bowl, the Steelers went six and 10, and there were calls for his, for his firing. Sure. Um, and so I guess I would just ask you uh, wave a magic wand over this process right now and tell me. In your mind, if you are having a conversation with Roger Goodell, um, what what are you recommending to him to get more equality in the process? Well, just those two points that, that you just made, and I have to go back to Dan Rooney, and everybody talks about the Rooney rule. And what the Rooney rule, what Dan was really asking for was just that, for people to take their time. It's funny, we had a discussion about this last week on the show. Uh, I told Liam McHugh, I was hired for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers job on January 22nd, which is today. And, you know, now if you hire someone today, everybody, oh, you took so long and and you missed out on this and that. 
I was hired on January twenty. But you, and you know what I, you know what I love about your hiring, by the way, I thought that was really interesting. You know, the Bucks are desperate to get Jimmy Johnson. They're desperate yep. to get Steve Spurrier. <laughs> it just it reminds me so much of last year when the Colts are desperate to get Josh McDaniels or Mike Vrabel. They settle on McDaniels, and then they never even interviewed Frank Reich. So what does Frank Reich do? He gets this job after not ha- even having been considered for it in January. He gets the job and in a very very unlikely surprising season leads the Colts to the playoffs and that's one of the reasons why I say take your time exactly exactly and that's the lesson if Chris Ballard learned a lesson in all of that it was just that take your time I remember Dan Rooney calling me as we're in the playoffs preparing uh you know and he's asking me questions about Mike Tomlin and he wow. wasn't worried about losing assistant coaches or I've got to get this, this guy. But, you know, that's what I tell people all the time when Roger Goodell will recommend for me to talk to an owner. That's, I, I tell him, hey, study Dan Rooney. Here's what Dan does or what he did three times. He had a formula what he was looking for. This is what I want, a young defensive assistant coach. The whole world might be hiring opposite of that, but that's the formula that works for me. So that's what I'm going to look for. And then he took his time and he researched and he uncovered and he talked to a lot of young defensive coaches. And he came up with Chuck Knoll, and then he went through the same process 23 years later and he came up with Bill Cower, and then he went through the process 15 years after that and he came up with Mike Tomlin. And the formula worked and he, he got the best person for him. And then, as you said, he stuck with him. One thing that I'll never forget, and I was thinking about it when Steve Wilkes got fired this year, saying he didn't win enough games at at Arizona, Dan Rooney telling me that he knew he had the right person for the job when Chuck Knoll finished 1-13. So the way Coach Knoll handled the 1-13 season convinced him more than anything that he had the right guy. And then I, I... got the benefit of playing for Coach Noel years later when we're in the midst of a Super Bowl run. And then I got traded to the San Francisco 49ers, Bill Walsh's first year. And we were 2-14. and 14. And the next year, they were 6-10. and 10. Uh, Bill Walsh wouldn't have made it at, at, at 8-24. and 24, Bill Walsh wouldn't have gotten the third year now. That's just not the way we, we work. So it, Chuck Knoll and Bill Walsh, we would have missed out on about seven Super Bowls. <laughs> That's <laughs> really, really interesting. These guys would not have got that chance because we're so caught up in, oh, it's got to happen right now. We've got to win. And if you don't win X number of games, I was 6-10 and 10 my first year. 0-5, and, and the Glazers had a meeting with me on our bye week and said, hey, we're, we're behind you 100%. And that, that's what you need. Uh, to, to make it work. It doesn't matter who you pick if you don't give them enough time and enough opportunity to succeed. Um, tangentially, I'm curious, what do you think your friend Mike Tomlin and the family you know some well now, uh, Art Rooney II, what do you think they're going to do with Antonio Brown? You know, I think they'll sit down with him and have a discussion and uh, come to a conclusion one way or another, but it, it won't be a knee-jerk reaction. I, I can remember, but again, I go back to my first year, 1977. Uh, Jack Lambert and Mel Blunt are holding out, asking for $100,000 each, if you can believe it. 
And the Steelers said, no, defensive players, we can't play that much. So Lambert is mad. He's upset. Mel Blunt said, I will never play for the Steelers again. And uh, I'm just petrified. Oh, man, we're going to lose two of our best players. And the veteran players, relax. They'll get it all worked out. And from, hey, I'm not going to play for this team again. You know, we went on and won a couple more Super Bowls uh, because, they, you know, they're not going to just rush to conclusions. Now, there were some guys, you know, ended up moving on because they couldn't come back into the team concept. So I think they'll sit down with Antonio and say, hey, look, here's what we've got to have from you. If you want to be part of this team, uh, you've got to get on board with A, B, C, and D. If you don't think you can do that, you know, we'll get you someplace else. We'd love to have you here. You're one of us. Uh, At the end, how it's going to work out, I'm not sure. I would bet that it'll work out. He'll end up being there. I kind of think so, too. I don't know. After after the dust settles, Mike Tomlin is a fixer, you know, I, I, and and I understand that what happened is absolutely, totally intolerable. You can't have a guy going on a wildcat strike or whatever yeah. that was the last week of the season when you've got a playoff implication game. But I just I agree with you. I think that I think it's going to get fixed. Now, Tony, I, I want to talk about um, you've got a book that you're releasing today as we record this on Tuesday you're releasing your 10th big people book <laughs> and you because or no your seventh your seventh uh, uh, book and you've also done 10 books in conjunction with your wife Lauren uh, for children and so I, I just before we get to your new book that you that is coming out today I have to ask you, did you ever think when you were a kid you were going to be an author who would have a book that would end up number one on the New York Times bestseller list? Never, Peter, in my wildest imagination. My mom was a high school English teacher. She loved writing. She loved public speaking. She always critiqued me on my uh, post-game interviews and things. I hated it. <laughs> I never liked to write. I never, it just wasn't me. And I would have never guessed uh, I, I would do that. She would be proud now, but she would be speechless. She would say, <laughs> I, I never thought this could happen either. Well, it's pretty amazing. Your book that comes out today um, is is called The Soul of a Team. And Tony, you basically come up with the most important basic tenets to build a team, not just a football team, but you you talk about building a team in all aspects of life. I think the way you do this book is you basically use football as an allegory. You know, football as you know as a as a way to run any uh, business venture or any group of people. And I want you to explain how you came up with the concept and why you think a football team is a good uh, sort of a, a good metaphor for life. It's amazing, Peter. You're exactly right. Uh, in the last 12 years since I retired, I've been asked to speak hundreds of times to high school teams, to businesses, to Fortune 500 companies, to uh, groups who are, are trying, churches who are trying to get everybody on the same page and they ask the same question how do you build a team how do you get people from different backgrounds to come together and focus on one common goal you did it very well 
as a football coach, we'd like to hear how, and maybe we can apply that to our situation. And so when, when I go in and talk to Sprint or, um, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A about, well, here, here's what we did to solve this problem. Here's what you do when you've got a talented wide receiver who's upset and upsets the apple cart. How do you put things back together? Um, everybody faces those situations, whether it's a family, whether it's a business. Um, and, and the question is, how do you become a good leader and handle that situation? How do you become a better teammate and work your way through things when, when everything isn't focused on you? And that's kind of what the book is all about. Tony, what would you say? There's basically four pillars that you talk about, four really important things. I won't, I won't ask you to spill the beans on everything, but I'd love to know one important aspect of how to build a team, an organization, uh, a business. It doesn't matter what the business is. Give me the one key thing that you believe is common to every business and how you get that done with a group of disparate people. Right. Well, I would say that is the second letter in soul. They all stand for something. S stands for being selfless. O is owning your role. U is for unity. And L is for having a larger purpose. Uh, the one thing Coach Noel talked about all the time was owning your role, and that is the team can't be 53 stars. Okay, it, Everybody's not going to get top billing, but everybody's job is important, and you have to be able to, number one, accept your role and then uh, work at your role and perform it to the top uh, level that you can, and that's how we're going to be successful. So as a teammate or a, a part of the group, I have to be able to accept whatever role that the coach gives me or the leader gives me and understand how important it is, even if I, I don't think it's, you know, the role that I necessarily want. And then as a leader, I've got to be able to get everybody to buy into what their role is, how important it is, and get them to function in that role, even if it might not necessarily be the role that they want. So I think that's the most important thing. But then the other three letters kind of help you see how to do that um, and, and what's important in getting everybody to buy into their role. Tony, why do you believe that your books have touched a chord with so many people? Um, you don't write the tell-all book with the dirty details of the inside stories of man Peyton Manning was a pain, or yeah, I mean you don't, you don't, man Warren Sapp that was a yeah. that was a tough. So you don't you don't do that. You 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 keep all your all your stuff in house. But so tell me, why do you think your books have really hit home with so many people? I think what it's been is has been. Number one, honesty, and um, hey, I don't have all the answers. Here's what I think. Here's some of the flaws. Here's some of the things that I did wrong that you could learn from. Uh, but number two, just common sense things that, that aren't rocket science, you know, and, and just saying here's, here's how to do it. Here's uh, a way that you can help other people be better. Here's a way that you can help build it and um Write it in a way, and maybe I guess this is what I got from my mother, is <laughs> making it not so everybody can understand it. Uh, I, I'm not uh, uh, just that over.
over the top where I'm going to write something where, where nobody can figure it out. Uh, anybody can read the stuff that I write and, and relate to it and say, oh, yeah, I, I know what he means. And I think that, that's been a help, too. We're going to finish off with a question. I've wanted to ask you this for a long time. I've never asked you this, but I covered the Giants in the 80s, and I saw Bill Parcells, who probably his two biggest rivals during that period of time. The Cowboys were kind of declining, so there really wasn't that much of a rivalry with the Cowboys, you know, like Parcells and Tom Landry. But Parcells had a huge rivalry with Joe Gibbs, didn't, particu- mm-hmm. didn't particularly like him. Uh, they were a very chilly relationship, and he had a, quite a rivalry uh, uh, with um, uh, with Bill Walsh with the 49ers. Same mm-hmm. thing there. Pretty chilly, very quick handshakes at the end of games. Um, and I've always wondered about your relationship with Bill Belichick. You guys were the, uh, you know, in the Patriots time of greatness, the one team that was the consistent, longest burr in their saddle was the Indianapolis Colts with Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning. So what was your relationship like then, and what is it like now? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, Bill, I played six months with the Giants, and Bill Walsh was the, or excuse me, Bill Belichick, was the special teams coach. So he coached me for six months. Um, and then, you know, we coached against each other for 9, 10, 11 years. The relationship on the field and during that, that competition, it was just that. It was all business, trying to beat them, him trying to beat us. But the times when we would sit together at the league meetings, uh, we, you know, he would come over, we'd discuss things, we'd talk. It was very friendly, very, um, you know, upbeat. When my son died, Bill sent me a note, uh, handwritten, you know, and it was one of the first ones to come. So that's the side that people don't see and, and they don't focus on. But, no, it, it was – I'm not going to say it was buddy-buddy because it certainly wasn't, but it was mutual respect and a lot of fun when we were off the field. What about now? Do you have much of a relationship with him at all? I, through, you know, I don't see him very often. Uh, I, I have gotten to know him a little bit better through Rodney, and when we've done uh, things and when, when we've covered them, it, it's always been good. But uh, I just don't see him that much nowadays. Yeah. It's, do you ever think you'd see a team make the Super Bowl nine times in 18 years? No. What, what they've done has been phenomenal. And of course they've had the good fortune of having Tom Brady healthy for a long period of time, but coach Belichick and you look at different staffs and just how many offensive coordinators and how many defensive coordinators and different players have come through there. And the thing that I admire is you watch them over and over and over and over again. They don't beat themselves. They had a tough game in, in Kansas city and things especially in the fourth quarter, weren't necessarily going great. But when when it comes time to execute, they're going to play their best game. You have to be on, on your best game, and you can't make the mistakes that, that will lose the game. And, and they just – they're so well coached and they're so disciplined. Uh, it, it's great to watch. But it, what they've done is, is unbelievable. I, I, was, I was a really young boy when the Yankees were, you know, that dominant. But I haven't seen anything like that in sports, uh, in any other sport that I can think of. Tony Dungy, um, Hall of Fame football coach, uh, 
has a book out this week. It's called The Soul of a Team. It's written with Nathan Whitaker, Tyndale House Publishers. Uh, Tony has gotten to number one on the bestseller list, which, Tony, I'll tell you this. I think it's harder to get to number one on the bestseller list than it is to get to Canton, Ohio. So anyway, <laughs> I applaud you. I applaud you for, for both things and uh, for being uh, always so good to me over the years. And I really appreciate your time today. And I wish you all the best with the soul of a team. Hey, thank you very much, Peter. Always great to be with you and uh, hope to see you at the Super Bowl. Support for the Peter King Podcast comes from Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. You want even more for your website? You can also start a blog. You can launch an online store, or you can create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website and create yours today. Get started now. Go to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Peter King to get 10% off. You'll love it. And now my conversation with Ed Werder. Happy to be joined on the Peter King Podcast by Ed Werder. You know him as a longtime reporter for ESPN. For the last couple of years, he's been a free agent, Ed Werder. He'll land with a new sporting media company, I believe, in 2019. We'll get to Ed's future in a bit. But I find Ed today, a couple of days after uh, he worked as a sideline reporter at the NFC Championship game for Westwood One on the radio. And I listened to Ed a lot on Sunday because in my perch in the Arrowhead Stadium press box, I had the the game on, uh, the football game on, the Saints and the Rams, and in my ear I had the Westwood One uh, 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 t- uh, sound because I had my NFL game pass up, and you can get it through that. So anyway, I hadn't listened to many games on the radio this year, and I had not heard Ed very much, and I was happy to do it. So anyway, Ed, welcome to the program. You're in Colorado with your grandson. You're having a good life right now. We are. We decided to make a quick visit here before we go to the Super Bowl next week and uh, ran into near blizzard conditions in Denver last night, but we've made it safely to our house, and we have the fire roaring, and little Henry's over playing with his little animal kingdom in the playroom we set up for him. Nothing wrong with that. Well, Ed, let's get to uh, let's get to a couple of storylines out of that game. Um, okay, I heard you on. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll surprise you. I'm gonna. I heard you with Jared Goff after the game from the field, and I, I just I have to say I'm so impressed with Jared Goff. I mean, a month ago I thought that he was really hitting a bad slump. He had a terrible game against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football. 
uh, you watch that game, you say, oh, my gosh, are they going to be able to overcome Jared Goff? But then he's played very well, I've thought, in the postseason. And in my opinion, he outplayed Drew Brees in this game. So I I ask you from down on the field during the game, uh, A, how was he? And B, he really had to overcome some stuff being able to hear at the Superdome on Sunday. Yeah, that was uh, the most interesting thing to me was the start of the game um, because I I was well aware of the importance of how the quarterback was going to be able to communicate uh, amid the noise in the Dome. In fact, when I covered the, the NFC Championship game there 10 years before and Brett Favre was the Vikings quarterback, one of the things he told me was how physically and mentally exhausting it is for the quarterback amid that unrelenting noise to, you know, try to maintain your focus, to get the calls in from the sideline, to communicate them in the huddle, and then to make corrections or changes at the line of scrimmage, uh, that it is really a taxing experience for a quarterback. And so knowing that the Rams, given their previous visit in the regular season, must have paid you know particular attention to that aspect of the game and its importance to functioning offensively from the start, uh, I've watched... Uh, uh, with with some amount of, um, I don't know, uh, I guess I was impressed by the fact that Jared Goff was having trouble before he took his first snap as he was getting ready to go out with the communication device in his helmet, which Sean McVay uses to communicate with him, and probably does it more than uh, most coaches. In fact, he manipulates it in very unique ways to benefit the Rams. And what do you Goff mean? What do you clearly- mean exactly by that? Well, uh, one of the thing, when they beat the Cowboys in the divisional playoff game and the Cowboys defense looked so bad and giving up 273 yards rushing, talking to Cowboys people about the game, I asked them, well, was it just your young defense and the fact that they were confused by all the motions and shifts and disguises that McVay uses? And, and the answer I got back, Peter, was, no, it's more that what they would do to us is they would go to the line of scrimmage like they were going to run, hurry up, no huddle, and they would stand there, and so you as a defense have to prepare for them to snap the ball at any moment. So basically, they force you to declare the defense you're going to play. Right, And right. then, before the 15-second cutoff in the communications, McVay then calls the play into golf with a defense that he sees and knows is what they're going to play. So a big advantage to the Rams. Now, now, I talked to some Saints coaches, and they said, well, they can't do that here because of the noise. What they do instead is they stay in the huddle, stay in the huddle, stay in the huddle, and then they come up to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball before you're ready. Uh, so that's how I think Sean McVay kind of takes it next level. You know, most coaches want great personnel. Most coaches are trying to exploit specific matchups. And he does that too, but he also adds this other element. And so it was pretty amazing, wasn't it, to see Goff um, outplay Drew Brees in that game? Yeah, I mean, he, he made all the, the big throws. He obviously made the mistake, you know, early in the game. Right. Um, but, but I thought he showed great poise. And, you know, after the first series, they got the helmet thing uh, resolved, and, and it was working effectively. Uh, but, but he was not panicked on that. It was a kind of a frantic scene on the sidelines with the NFL operations and equipment, people trying to get this problem resolved. Uh, because they know it can create an unfair competitive situation. Um, but they did, and he was very patient about it. Uh, even though he threw an interception, you know, that probably should have been a Todd Gurley catch, uh, he, he did show great poise in the game. Uh, came, they came back from 13 nothing down. They came back from 20-10 to 10 down. Uh, and he made the huge throw to Brandon Cooks at the end of the half, and I think that really 
was the biggest momentum changer in the game. That was a uh, huge play. Non-call late. Beautiful, beautiful throw. Um, on the other side, I want to ask you one thing about the Saints. I had a note in my column on Monday that over the last seven games of the season, yep. this preeminent offense, you know, if you asked anybody middle of November, you'd say, oh, my God, the Saints, they're unstoppable. Uh, the last seven games of the season, five regular season, two playoff games, they averaged uh, uh, 19.7 points a game. They really, really were hurting, I think, Um and I, I just want to know, how do you look at what happened to the Saints over the last, you know, say six, seven weeks of the season? Well, um, they had that period where they were, well, they scored over 40 points three games in a row. Uh, and then in week 13, they played at Dallas. And the Cowboys held them to 10 points. And their offensive production was the worst during the entire Drew Brees, Sean Payton era of football in New Orleans. And I can tell you with a great degree of certainty that Chris Richard played a huge role in that. In fact, he was part of a Seattle staff that had done something very similar uh, to Breeze and Peyton and the Saints in a playoff game in, when he was in Seattle. And so he brought that blueprint, that strategy, uh, into this game plan he devised. And what it really emphasized was creating inside pressure on Drew Breeze, knowing that he's a six-foot quarterback, and also giving him no place to go quickly with the football by playing physically at, with the receivers at the line of scrimmage. I talked to Ron Rivera the, uh, when he played them a few weeks after that, and they had similar success. And I said, Ron, you're a great defensive coach in this league yourself, and you play them twice a year. Did you borrow any of the strategies that you saw from Dallas on tape? And he said, without question, they revealed some weaknesses uh, and we tried to force them, use some of the same concepts, try to force them into the same mistakes. And so I think the Saints failed really to react to this blueprint that was created uh, by certain teams. And certainly the Rams are capable with the two corners that they have and with the Indomitian Sioux and Aaron Donald inside, you know, to get interior pressure and force the ball, uh, put Reese in a position where he wants to get the ball out of his hands quickly but has nowhere really meaningful to go. And so I think that really led to the Saints' offensive downfall over the final, you know, third of the season. And let's talk about um, the elephant in the officiating room, the uh, the lack of a pass interference call against uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman uh, with a minute 43 left at the six-yard line of the Rams, uh, causing uh, the Saints to then have to kick a field goal right then, giving the ball back to the Rams, allowing the Rams to drive down the field, uh, kick a field goal, force overtime, and then obviously win the game in overtime. Um, I think in NFL parlance, it is more likely than not that the <laughs> New Orleans Saints would have advanced to the Super Bowl if the pass interference call or the helmet-to-helmet call on Nikhil Roby Coleman uh, had been made with a minute 43 left in regulation. You were on the field. Describe the scene on the field at the time. It seemed like quite a bit of mayhem. And I know that yeah. you are not in a great position on the field to see everything. And obviously, you, you know, you're not upstairs. You don't have the, you know, the same microsecond replays. But just tell me what the scene was like there. 
Well, I was on the Saints sideline at the time. I was at the other end of the Saints bench, unfortunately, but I did immediately look to see how the Saints players were reacting. I can tell you uh, with a high degree of certainty that helmets were thrown, profanities were espoused, and there was a great deal of anger about the fact that such a blatant call had been uh, missed. And, and, and you're right. Um, you know, Sean Payton went up and, I mean, I don't know that he ever let that call go the rest of the game. Uh, we saw him mouth to the official almost immediately. That was a Super Bowl call. Uh, and even in the overtime period, he seemed, still seemed to be arguing with the officials about that missed call. So I'm not sure they ever really got over it. Uh, and, and you're probably right. I mean, the, 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 the missed call probably does send the wrong team uh, to the Super Bowl. But I would also point out that the Saints – still had the lead at that point, you know, after they kicked the field goal you mentioned, and they had the great advantage of having the ball first in overtime, and they're the only team in an overtime game in the playoffs since 20, 2010 to lose when they had the ball first. You know, teams with the ball first are 7-1. and one. The Saints are the one exception, and it was that game. Uh, so they still had a chance to win right. the game, and we don't presume, if you've seen Joe Pisarsic fumble and Tony Romo bobble a snap, we just can't presume anything. Would you know? You that can't presume. You can't presume it, but there's more likely than not. Like more, you said, exactly, it's more likely than not. Brady punishment. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, and and obviously something has to change. This this has to create a tipping point where the league, you know, does what Bill Belichick's been urging, which is allow all penalties to be subject to challenges from coaches. You know, Sean Payton's a member of the competition committee. He's campaigned for pass interference to be a call that can be challenged by coaches. But this was a non-call. Yeah. Uh, can you challenge a non-call? Yes. You should be able to uh, challenge any play. Comp- <laughs> yeah, I've talked to people on the competition committee, and you know, this person said they're always open to discussion, um, but that these kinds of PI calls can be very subjective. And this, unfortunately, they said was a, a bad miss, but they're not sure that you can always differentiate. Um, and, and I thought, that, you know, I talked to somebody with the Saints yesterday, um, and, and this was what they said about the whole debacle. They said, I have no words for it. I can't believe our league can allow something like that to happen. I don't want to take anything away from the Rams. They're very deserving of playing in the Super Bowl. But to put in the work and the effort that our entire team has and to lose on an obvious no call is a travesty. And it's one that has to be fixed. Ed, um, what exactly did you see after that call, if anything, with the officials on the field? Did they confer? Did they get together to decide? Did we make the right call? Should there be a call here? Or did they simply go on? It actually seemed to me um, like the back judge in the... I mean, first of all, it's incomprehensible how a play that was so blatant happened directly between two officials who appear to be looking right at it, uh, and neither one makes the right call. And it appeared that the back judge, the one closest to the end zone, not only waves immediately incomplete, but then puts his hand out as the other official is coming toward him as if, no, we made the right call. There was no contact. We're right. Leave it as it is. Like, wow. don't, let's not talk about it. Let's not argue about it. So, no, I, I, don't, I think they were, at least the one official in my mind, was completely confident in his call. Um, 
have a couple more minutes with Ed Werder. I I don't know. I'm it's it's terrible. It's just awful. Uh, but I did want to get to some Ed Werder business. Okay, everybody in the country who's a sports fan knows you. They uh, they watched you for years on ESPN. In the spring of 2017, you along with about a hundred other people at that time were laid off from ESPN. And the reason why people haven't seen you on TV or are you know widely viewed is very simple. You're continuing to get paid by ESPN, I believe, uh, till late in this calendar year, 2019. And so, if you want to keep getting paid by ESPN, you can't work for anybody else. So, I guess Ed, I would ask you, how has that been? for the last couple of years to basically been a restricted free agent where you can't go out and uh, apply your services? Well, um, obviously, I'm honoring my contract uh, to ESPN, and ESPN is honoring the contract uh, as they interpret it with, you know, all the rights of uh, that, that they have that they've enforced, and it expires the first week, basically, of next season, the 2019 season. Uh, they have been willing in certain instances like Westwood one to allow me uh, to work a certain number of games. Uh, and, and when I go to these games, I mean, it's, I, I do it because I love the game. I love what I did. Uh, it's frustrating not to be able to do it wherever I want um, and, and to continue my career um, on my own terms. Uh, that's very frustrating to me. Um, I, I, re- I recognize it could be worse if I weren't getting paid my ESPN salary. Um, so I'm grateful for that part of it, but it's frustrating to go to games and, you know, see people doing the job that, that I, that I love to do and that I thought I did at the highest level and, and prevented from doing for a period in excess of two years. So, uh, I am eager to get back out there and get an opportunity to do again if somebody's, you know, willing to create that, um, that platform for me again. But uh, I love being at the games. I can't tell you how much I love interacting with the teams and, and that's why I have taken these opportunities with Westwood One, and I'm really grateful that they contacted me almost immediately. It's a great professional broadcasting organization that I think does it exactly the right way. Um, but to me, the value is to get in front of the players and be in communication directly with coaches and players, and GMs, and owners. That's invaluable to me as I as I wait for my contract to expire. So it's, it's been great to be at the games, and, and I'm fortunate to have the opportunities I've had, but it's frustrating not to be able to do it every week. You anticipate this season at some point, 2019 regular season, that we'll see you somewhere on TV working for somebody? Well, I'm, I'm not the name in this business that you are, so oh, I don't expect that. to have as many pursuers and suitors <laughs> as you may have had. Uh, and to land... Uh, uh, as well as you have having turned down other options. And I, I've turned down a few things myself, um, but I can only hope so. I mean, I, I've thought about, you know, this is obviously a time to consider reinvention and, and doing something else when you're 57 years old and you've been forced out for, for a couple of years. And given the way the industry's going, it's so unpredictable. Um, I, but ultimately, I, I decided that I really love what I do, and that would be my first preference would be to do exactly what I was doing before, covering games every weekend, you know, trying to break news, add context and perspective, uh, and go in the studio and, and, and add uh, whatever I can to those shows. So I'd, I'd, ultimately, I'd like to consider the opportunity to still do that going forward. Whether that opportunity presents itself to me is really not totally in my control. I'm doing everything I can. 
uh, to make sure that happens. And I've had conversations with people uh, who could hire me uh, when my contract is up. Um, and and I, I wouldn't even rule out ESPN at this point since there's been a management change. But uh, I just it's too early really to know. Edward, or wish you luck. Um, your knowledge um, fills the time. Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's always great when you see people on TV who you say, okay, look, I know they're only going to be they're going to be speaking for the next thirty five seconds, but I know I'm going to learn something from the in those thirty five seconds. So you better listen. That's always been the case with you. Um, wherever you land, I'll be listening. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me as a guest again. I appreciate your support. And I've always believed in letting my information be the star. Uh, And so that would be my philosophy going forward. Can I tell you about my new favorite thing at home? It's my new Sonos Beam. So let me tell you about Sonos. I first discovered what Sonos was visiting my daughter in San Francisco. She has Sonos in her house. I said, what is this thing? She said, Dad, it's unbelievable. We can listen to anything we want in any room in the house. And the quality, the sound quality was awesome. So anyway, I got Sonos Beam. And let me tell you, it's everything I thought it would be. It's the smart, compact sound bar for my television and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services, and I can even use AirPlay to enjoy music and my favorite shows from my iPhone or iPad. I am a podcast junkie, so I listen to podcasts in different rooms of my house thanks to Sonos Beam. Not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait until you listen. The sound is brilliant. Using the beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for my music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV, movies, and my podcast. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. I'm telling you, 12 minutes, 15 minutes max. No crazy wiring. Beam connected to my TV with just one cord, and it syncs up with my remote. Even better, the Sonos app made it so easy to set up. And here was something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa is built in. I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and now I even have hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and to adjust the volume. So how great is that? Get your Sonos today. Don't wait. Don't you want to listen to music in one room and a podcast in another, or send sound from your TV everywhere in your home so you never miss a second of what you really want to hear? Create the ultimate entertainment center with your Beam, Sonos Beam. Go online to get yours today. And now some thoughts from a player who has never been on a winning playoff team in his career until this year. Jason McCourty of the Super Bowl-bound New England Patriots. Back on the Peter King Podcast, happy to be joined by a first-time Super Bowl participant, Jason McCourty of the New England Patriots. And Jason, with what you've been through in your life, you've lost so much in the NFL. 
Okay, I want you to tell me what does it feel like right now as you stand in this locker room an hour after a scintillating AFC championship game and you were going to the Super Bowl. Tell me the thoughts that go through your mind. You almost feel like you don't deserve it. You know, I, I think back uh, Pop Warner getting a chance to play alongside Dev, and that's what this season has been about, you know, a chance to play with my twin brother. And um, didn't think it would get to this extent, but it's been special. And you look back at from where you got, where you started and where you are now, and it's just God is good, man. He's done so much in my life to bring me uh, to this point with this group of guys, and it's just been special. And to win this game the way we did, back and forth, Tom and the offense going out there winning it in the end, incredible feeling. I'm curious, now that you've gotten a chance, you played against Tom Brady a bunch, and now you saw him three times, third and ten, in overtime, each time to Edelman, Edelman, and Gronkowski. He converts for 15 yards. You're watching that on the sidelines. What's going through your mind? I'm happy to finally be on the right side of this thing. You know, <laughs> for years you study him, you watch him, and it's just over and over again, play after play. He just continues to make it and, um, as if it's easy for him. And I think to be on this side of it, sitting on that bench, and I remember saying to J.C. Jackson, he was like, hey, so if we score right now, do they get the ball back? I said, J.C., if we score, I'm sprinting onto the field the way the guy did earlier in the game, holding the <laughs> sign up. So, I man, it's just a, a crazy amount of emotions that go through. So, in your mind... In your mind, what does this say about this team this year that you're going to the Super Bowl, that you came to Kansas City and beat this team with the young phenom Mahomes? Battle-tested uh, perseverance. You know, this is a team that has gone through a lot. And I know over the years I've watched Dev, and he's finished the season 14-2, number one seed. Everybody's picking him for the Super Bowl. And this year to go 3-5 and five on a roll, and then have to go on a roll for the AFC Championship. One of our best friends texted me and Dev uh, yesterday or today and was just like, Dev, I don't think you've ever won a playoff game on a roll, have you? Just like, nah, I haven't. So it was a lot of first times uh, for myself, one for Dev as well. Okay. Two things. One... Is there something about this experience that's really different from your other experiences in pro football? Without a doubt. I think when you're able to win at this level this much, um, I think going through what I've gone through leading up to this, you appreciate it so much more. So it makes it a lot different because you didn't imagine that you'd be standing here. I didn't think I could win 11 games in a season, you know, and to be able to do it and to win consistently, go on winning streaks and uh, to be a part of a veteran-led team and guys just picking each other up uh, has definitely been different and special. Nobody on the Kansas City Chiefs had ever played in a conference championship before. 36 players in this locker room have played in a conference championship before today. You're one of the ones who didn't. Mm -hmm. But what does experience mean on a day like today? Bill tells us it means nothing. Whoever plays better on whatever given Saturday or Sunday in the playoff is a team that's going to win. And today we were able to play uh, just a little bit better than Kansas City to walk away with a win. Last thing, you've watched a lot, I'm sure, in your life on Super Bowl Sunday, but you've never done it. What do you imagine it's gonna be like for you? A lot of anxiety and nerves to start with, for sure. I was nervous as heck before this game, and then I just think it's going to be fun. You grow up, I remember going to Super Bowl parties as a kid, and there's going to be a lot of kids around the country tuned in, watching, eating pizza bagels or something, watching us playing the Super Bowl. So I'm just going to try to take that moment and savor it. Jason McCourty, thanks, and good luck in Atlanta. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Tony Dungy, Ed Werder, 
Jason McCourty. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, and John Elway. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Simply Safe, Robinhood, Wix, and Sonos. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.